so this is my one of my best friends from high school, by the way. And um, it was, so his name's Ross Githens. And uh, so uh, when Trey had mentioned the other day about or it was several weeks ago now, probably six, eight weeks ago when we were talking about it. He said, hey, what do you think about having Ross come in? Because we've talked about doing something. Even during Corona, I'd asked him about doing like a Facebook, like a, a call between me and him just talking about mental health. And uh, that never happened. We just didn't make it happen kind of thing. And so when Trey mentioned it, I was like, absolutely, this is the perfect time for that. And, uh, and so today we're just going to be open and honest and just kind of, you know, because the whole idea and the goal of today is for you to be able to walk away with some tools some very practical things. And so uh, I'll let you introduce yourself, kind of give yourself the introduction and who you are and why you're sitting here and why you're qualified to sit here to whatever degree that means. Qualified. But. Wow, that's, that, that's, a, that's a tough one. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a licensed counselor. I uh, Actually, my wife, your sister, put me through grad school. So, uh, guys, if, if you know your wife loves you. She, she tells you to quit your job and uh, go to school, and she pays all the bills. So, uh I went through seminary in Fort Worth, actually, and uh, got my master's in counseling, and I graduated in 2006, and I run a private practice in Shreveport uh, for about 15 years now, and uh, see people with various backgrounds. I'm a licensed addiction counselor. Uh, I'm also a sex addiction counselor. Uh, addiction is one of my specialties. It's a passion of mine, but uh, that's my hope today, is that we can talk about some, some things that, that we expect of ourselves, that we expect of our God, we expect of our church. Uh, ways that we can raise the bar and what we expect of ourselves uh, and, and some humility. And people, I, I would love to see this church be willing to get help, willing to get resources, uh, because I think people just suffer alone and they just get worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you first started, you were actually family and what was the other? It was a family and something therapist. That was when you, because the sex addiction is probably in the last, what, four years, three, four years? Right. Well, so, yeah, so my, my brief story is that uh, I, I was an alcoholic and a drug addict uh, and I discovered this in high school. I kind of went crazy. And my mom and dad intervened, put me in a rehab in Phoenix, Arizona. And God actually saved me through that entire process when I was 16 years old. Uh, and so I met a counselor there in that rehab. And uh, God and took me from being suicidal to a calling within about 12 months. Uh, because for the first time, I found a job that was life-giving to really speak life and uh, be able to kick some people in the butt and give them a hug. You know, that really both appealed to me. So uh, so I actually left that rehab in Phoenix and came back to, Sh- to Shreveport. And that's where uh, me and David met at that private high school when I was a junior in high school. Uh, some good good lunch times, me and David laughing. Yeah. In fact, I think both of us came to the Lord pretty close together. Uh, he always managed to shine me, you know, outshine me. He'd be, I'd be like, you know, I'm trying not to cuss. And he's like, I threw away all my secular CDs. And I'm like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'm like, I got problems with my eyes. And he's like, I need to pray more. I'm like, crap, <laughs> gosh, David, shut up. Yeah. No, the interesting thing about our story is we both got saved during the summer between our junior, senior of high school. And we didn't want to tell each other because we knew who we, who we were the year before. And mm-hmm. it happened to be a private Christian school. And so we just made fun of all the Christians. And that's what's kind of our bond, honestly. We were jacked up and we were uh, uh, just like to, yeah. I'll just leave it at that. And, uh, and so we didn't, want to, we didn't want to tell each other. And it was probably about this time of the year, September, October. Mm-hmm. I don't know how me and you were alone one day and we were like trying to figure out like without saying directly like, hey, I, I'm a Christian. And then it's like, hey, uh, you know, kind of that awkward moment of trying to navigate that. And uh, so it was like, I think you might have said it first. You're like, hey, I, I need to let you know something. And I was like, what? I think this is how, I don't remember exactly, but I think it was you. Uh, we're like, 
you know, I, I gave my heart to the Lord. And I was like, oh my gosh, so did I. Mm-hmm. And so then it was like, and then it became like, we've got to get Joe, like our other friends. So now we've got to tag team him. And, you know, so that's really our story. And, uh, and so uh, in college, he would uh, come and visit. And he didn't like my sister at the time. So he'd call and be like, hey, is Jen asleep yet? And I'm like, no. And he's like, I'll call back later. And, uh, and then one day he's like, hey, man, we got to talk. And I was like, oh, what about what? And he was like, I think I'm in your sister. She's smoking hot. Yeah. Man. It's, it's amazing how that happens. And it changed everything, right? And uh, so they're married. They've been married for 19 years. Yeah, 20 years in January. 20 years in January. Got two boys. And uh, so, uh, yeah, so we've just got a couple things that uh, I wanted to share with us today and just some things I had in my heart. And, uh, and as I said a minute ago, the goal of today is to give you some tools, some very practical things. I don't know that in the church that we've done a very good job um, of really um, maybe addressing some of where people are at. Uh, you know, today and the, the take out Corona, take out the pandemic, take out the hurricanes, take out all that. We were in trouble before all that uh, as a, as a culture. And so it's easy to look at things and say, well, that's the problem. No, we've had problems. And in the church, many times we've been reluctant, um, maybe to speak to it or maybe to acknowledge it. And so things like mental health is like, well, the, the Bible doesn't really speak to that, but it does. And it talks quite a bit about it, actually. And so I've got a few things that we want to talk about today. But let's just start off with how do you define mental health and what I would call soul health from a scriptural basis. But how would you define being uh, mentally healthy? Like, how would you describe that? Well, I think obviously something's health is how it weathers the storm, right? And so the highs and lows, every one of us has a good day or a bad day in the last 30 days. I think some of us are barely hanging on and some of us are thriving, and so if you're zero out of 10, if you're averaging in, like, let's say, anxiety, if you're averaging a seven, you can't afford to have a flat tire. You can't afford for life to happen because when you discover your kids looking at porn, when you discover your wife hates you, whatever these things happen, they're going to happen to all of us that are normal skirmishes. I find people who are failing, who are not healthy, cannot recover. And so it just becomes these series of bad events. Where I think God wants us healed. I think God wants us restored. Because we all have something. Let's be honest here. We've all got something that we're struggling with. That we're trying to battle through. I think some of us are just winning those battles. And some of us are honestly losing. And so I guess that's what I would define as healthy. Is God am I responding? Am I able to recover from what life is happening? I think if we were honest. I think there's people in here who haven't forgiven. People that have hurt them 10 years ago. 20 years ago. Uh, and so I think that's a sign of sickness. Let's be honest here. God, God has healed us in the billions. God is asking for us to forgive in the thousands. Uh, but there's always fear in forgiveness, right? Because that's going to lead me to be exposed or all men are pigs or all women want his money. Or you hear these like jokes, but they're not jokes. They're usually a sign of unhealth, a sign of sickness, a sign of a dysfunction, right? A, a divorce, uh, a, a child. There's something uh, to me that's plaguing the unhealthy. Yeah. And these are, you know, and these are just real life issues. I mean, all of us are in relationship with people and relationships are strained at an unbelievable level right now in the world in which we live. They just are. Uh, And it's a tactic and a tool of the enemy to gain the upper hand. And so uh, along this line, you know, I think that there has been a stigma inside of the church to talk about counseling, right? So like, let me give you an example of this and you'll probably laugh, but you know, if, if we hear of a, just, I'll just use this example. If we hear of a married couple who's going to counseling, it's like, is it that bad? 
Like, are, are you all about to get a divorce versus like, oh, okay, like that's a normal part of life. But there's this stigma in the church many times amongst many people that says, if I need to go to counselors, it's because I'm irreparably broken. Mm. Not just like, hey, there's a minor problem and I don't want it to get that bad. It's kind of like when, uh, you know, you got to get an oil change in your car and you're like, I don't need the oil change. I don't need the oil change. I don't need the oil change. And you don't need the oil change until the engine is broke. Mm. Why can't we go get the oil change to preserve the engine before it's ever making noise? That's good. And so we shouldn't be ashamed to say, I went and sat down with somebody. I went and had a conversation with somebody because I've got some questions that I can't resolve. Mm. Right? I mean, that's really, to me, is one of the catalysts of them saying, I need to go talk to somebody. If you have questions about yourself that you can't figure out, and we'll talk about this in a moment, that's why it's important. And you shouldn't feel shame for that. And the enemy is going to try to say, tell you things like, oh, you're not that bad. You're better than so-and-so. Well, you're not living their life. You're living your life. And you need to be present and whole in your life, inviting God into that process. And God uses counselors. And we don't have to be ashamed of that. And so I just want to kind of demystify the whole, like, you know, the, the cloud around that. If you need counseling, go get counseling. It's no different than going to any other doctor. If you're feeling sick, you would go to a doctor and say, doctor, help me feel better. So why is counseling different? It's just medicine for the brain. It's medicine for the soul, right? And so, uh, so along that line, uh, why do you, so I've said what I said. Why do you think there's a stigma in the church when it comes to counseling? I, I think people see it as a failure of the faith. There must be something really wrong with me. Uh, we had to call the fire department. And so everyone on the street now knows that I allowed a fire to be out of control and now I'm embarrassed. That's my analogy of counseling. And I guess what I see is I believe that, that the Bible has proven us time and time again that if your private sin is not dealt with, it will become public. Because what you're doing in the shadows will always come to light. And so you're embarrassed to take care of things in the shadows. That's an issue of pride. That's an embarrassment. And so, of course, that sin is going to fester. It's going to multiply. And so when you get arrested, when you get fired, when your wife leaves you, of course, your sin that could have been dealt in private is now ultimately embarrassing. And so I guess prevention, right? I, I'm applauded for in prevention for my car. I'm applauded in prevention for my, even my own kids. But in for pre- prevention of me, oh, man. Because yeah. even when you study affairs, affairs typically take 90 days. So I find there will be nine mistakes made uh, of things that were inappropriate, but... They're funny. They were just a little dangerous or a little indiscretion or an email or a joke or a hug. Now we want to focus on the 10th mistake when they rented a room, but we don't want to talk about the first time he was attracted. The first time I felt uncomfortable because that's private sin. And so I think the devil is doing a great job, if we be honest in this church, of removing the medicine that could help us. By addressing the private sin, yeah. addressing the temptation in its infancy, because I, I don't want to allow the devil to ever be powerful since he's defeated, but I have to help him be defeated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we're talking about like, so from a Christian perspective, I mean, obviously you're a licensed Christian psychologist, which can, so can you speak to the distinction of a Christian psychologist versus Any psychologist, or does it matter as a Christian, as a believer, who I go and talk to? A hundred percent. Because if I'm gonna if I'm gonna pay someone, if I'm gonna allow someone in my inner circle, I want them headed in my direction. 
And so humanistic counseling is going to say, pull yourself up. Self-help is a billion-dollar industry. They are doing so good at teaching people how to fail at healing themselves. Mm. And remember, God would never allow you to heal yourself because who gets the glory in that? I got me sober. Are you kidding? I got me saved. I washed me of my sin. All glory to Ross. God would never allow that to, to flourish. So, yes, I, I want people to skillfully be very careful who they allow in. Now, I don't want you so skeptical you go to no one because then, ironically, the devil wins there as well. So, to me, I want the spirit of God, the peace of God to allow a chemistry is what I call it with my own clients. Because when I meet my clients for the first time, I tell them, listen, I'm interviewing you and you're interviewing me. Because if you don't like me, no hard feelings. God has called me to be a counselor. God has, God has equipped me and he has gifted me to help my people. But I meet people who aren't my people all the time. And they're like, well, you're too Christian. You know, you talk too much. You're, you're too feminine. You're too masculine. I mean, I, I've been shot 50 ways. But in the, the day, that's not my fault, right? Just as when I was dating losers in college, right? I, I, I would, it's not that I'm trying to be mean to these girls. It just wasn't a match, you know? And that's what happened when I met your sister. It was like, for the first time in my life, it was like, this woman like fits. This is God. It's, it was just embarrassingly obvious when God was in the room. And so that's what I would push is that to me, yes, I want there to be some research. I want there to be some investigation. But God should be speaking to us. God is our father. God is not going to ever let you unknowingly walk into sin. And when you have peace, never, ever question that. The devil can never give you peace. So when God gives you peace, then that's the time. Now, are you afraid? Of course you're afraid. Is your sin going to be threatened? Yes. Is your selfishness threatened? Of course it is. If you're in marriage counseling, are you kidding? Yeah, so what I hear you saying is even if you go sit down with a counselor and it doesn't click, don't quit. Please. Right? Just go find somebody. Go find somebody that you do jail with. Go to somebody that you do understand, somebody that understands you. But don't stop. Like it'd be, it'd be the equivalent of, well, I dated one person. It didn't work out. So I guess I'm just never going to get married. Like how many of you dated more than one person? Y'all like them. <laughs> Some of y'all didn't want to admit that apparently. Now you're my one and only baby. Don't worry. Don't worry. You know, I mean, like, I, no, you part of dating, right? And this is, and you're saying, why are we talking about that? Because we're talking about getting help, Right. And it just because you go to one person, you know, uh, and it may not click, it may not, it just may not be a fit and that's fine. Just go find some help. Yes. The goal is to be better, not to just say I went to a counselor. The goal is to get better. And so I do think it's very important. And so even what he said about going to see a Christian counselor, that I, I believe that that's very important because you need somebody who's going down the same road that you are, you know, um, one of the things that, like, like I'll say it this way, one of the things that you don't want is a counselor who is going to feed into your biases. If your counselor says you're always right, they're the wrong counselor. Amen. Do I need to say that again? If somebody constantly agrees with you, remember, you are paying them. You ever gone to a mechanic and said, my car's making noise, and they're like, we couldn't find it. Does that mean this was free? Right. They're like, no, you still owe me for a diagnosis. I'm like, but you didn't find the problem. Right. And so you need to go to somebody who's going to make you uncomfortable. Now, I know everybody hates that, but you can either be better or you can be comfortable. Mm. But you've got to make a decision and say, you know what? I'm going all in. And when they make me uncomfortable, I'm not going to run away. 
I'm actually going to lean into it because I know the discomfort of the moment is going to bring me long-term health. But sometimes we just want to stay comfortable. But we're in a society that says if you're offended, then there's something wrong. You have offended me. That's not politically correct to offend me. So people will come for validation that will come for correction. Right. Yeah, but I mean, well. This is what I say. I, I say if my wife is acting away, I want to watch what I'm doing that may be causing her to act in this way. She's cold. Well, it's probably my fault she's cold. Because what is the crockpot, right? If We're creeping into marriage counseling here. But what is the crockpot looking like in my own marriage of how friendly am I? How helpful am I? How, how generous am I? How am I loving her outside of my bedroom so that I can make her the best woman she was designed to be? Her coldness is just a summation of my love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where her warmth is, is a reward, is a pleasure I get because what she's doing is she's validating that I'm loving her genuinely. So when I want to be loved, she says, well, there's money in the bank. Yes, sir. Love that girl. Yeah. But if she's cold, I'm overdrawn. I get mad at her. And that's my sin. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, so important, uh, you know, inside of, and again, you know, um, we're just wanting to remove some of the stigmas, right? And, and because there are things, look, and, and I say it all the time, all of us are jacked up. Because the reality is, is we are. But it doesn't mean we can't be made whole. And it doesn't mean that we can't be healed and that God doesn't want to work. Just because we're messed up doesn't mean we have to stay messed up. Right? There, I mean, that's the reason that Jesus came. Yes. Was so that we could be made whole, which means like we were never broken. You know, who can put Humpty Dumpty back together again? Right? Nobody, right? But Jesus actually heals. He's still the same God today that he's always been. You know, in the whole Bible, there's two covenants, the old covenant, the old Testament and the new covenant healing is in both. This is not some new thing because Jesus went to the cross. No, God has always been a healer. Yes. And he always will be a healer. Why? Because it's who he is. It's not just what he does. It is who he is. And and so I think that there are some, some things that feed into, because we're talking about marriage and things. And so, you know, so I'll kind of jump onto that. So even with Corona and with the shutdown and all these things and just the stress, the pressures of today, one of the things that we see as a side effect of mental health is isolation. You know, uh, people got shut down. I mean, there's whole countries that you couldn't leave your home. Two people in the country got it. I want, well, New Zealand, two people in the country came up with uh, some variation or Corona. They shut the entire country down. You couldn't leave your home for months. Because they were determined to, to not have it spread in their country. And so let's touch on that just for a minute. Uh, you know, as, as far as like, I mean, isolation has been a problem. I mean, obviously in our lifetime, uh, you know, nobody, I mean, I still remember the days of dial-up internet on AOL. Yes. Hello. You know, and you had to actually wait to get on the internet. And then you had to wait to like get a response. Like we get text messages a day and we don't get it back in five seconds and we're upset. I remember waiting for five minutes to get a response, right? And so we, but because of the effects of technology, it's not just social media, it's technology as a whole has created in us um, isolation at a greater level. And we were not built to do life alone. God said that about Adam. He created Adam and said, you know what? This isn't a good thing. I need to make somebody for fellowship relationship. And so uh, what are some of the effects of isolation, maybe from Corona, maybe from the shutdown, but uh, those things, but also, uh, why is it, why do we need healthy relationships? Like what's kind of contrast the, the isolation from that? In my opinion, as a worshiper myself, I think worship is contagious in a body. I think faith is contagious in a body. 
And so in isolation, I think the enemy is strengthened because my voice is louder. My depression, my anxiety, my, my sorrow about my life and my thorn is louder. And so I think that to me, isolation needs to be managed because obviously we don't, Jesus was alone. So I think well, I want to mimic his example that I do need to be alone, but I need to keep my aloneness and balance with my community. Right. Because in isolation, yes, I can hear God, but I think isolation in excess, right, is seen as a punishment. In prison, right. we use isolation as a punishment. And so I think I have, I have married couples that are texting each other. Uh, feeling words. And so I, I always try to ban that as rapidly as possible because I don't think feelings, I don't think emotions should ever be sent in a text because it is the most, it is the weakest communication we've ever studied. Uh, and so if I'm leery of isolation, then I don't see Facebook, I don't see Instagram as intimacy. I really see it as voyeurism, right? I'm watching the highlight reel of this couple who behind the scenes, by the way, were fighting, but then they quit fighting and took a great Disney photo. Right. And I'm jealous of the highlight reel when I'm actually happier in my marriage than they are. It just didn't feel that way. Right. Or they're in debt to their eyeballs to be there and they're fighting like cats and dogs going and coming because of the money they spent. Yep. Right. And, and so I guess that's what I'm looking for is I want. Yes, I think Facebook can be a tool used for the gospel. And so puppies and babies and there's great things that can happen in all these formats. But if your Facebook is dramatic, I blame you. You pick those friends. You, you allowed that gossip in your feed. So, so if, if you want to be mad at Facebook, you need, to, you need to filter your Facebook. If you're allowing death and darkness in your Facebook, that, that's on you. Right. If you're allowing friends to gossip to you, that's on you. And so I think that's where, as a representative of the kingdom, Christian, Christ-like, I want God through me to hold some accountability of my own integrity and of the integrity of those around me. Right. Because the disciples, right, I think Jesus was very hard on the disciples because that was inner circle, right? So I don't want a smoker in my inner circle. Am I judging smokers? No. I'm not picking on any sin. But I don't want someone who is actively choosing to be worse, uh, being reckless, uh, and having an affair partner. I'm not going to allow that in my inner circle because at the end of the day, I'm not ministering to them. They're going to pull me down. Mm -hmm. Now, as the disciples, did they go do gospel? Yes. Did they sit with the prostitutes? Yes. Can you do ministry with your inner circle? Absolutely. Right. And I think that's where the, the church gets a bad name because if we're picky about our inner circle, then we're judgmental. And I think that's where I, I want to look at isolation and say, yes. Do I want to be alone with God? Yes. Do I want to be alone with my wife? Yes. But if I get to excessiveness, then I think it, it can actually lead to, to a detached couple yeah. who how, have no friends. How would you separate the difference of solitude and isolation? I, I guess when solitude is in excess, I would call it isolation, a truly antisocial, you know, because I think that's not was not the gospel of, of Jesus. He, he was not antisocial. Right. He was a lover. He was someone who wanted to commune with people. So, yes. Do I think that solitude is good? Yes. Yeah. I think that we have too busy of a world, too many notifications yeah. Turn so talk about, which this will tie into social media, but even notifications, right? Like every time, I mean, they've proven it. Like there's dopamine the moment your phone dings. Yes. You get a comment, a like, yes. somebody responds, whatever. And if you don't know what dopamine is, it's a chemical in your brain. It's the happy drug, by the way. Uh, you know, it makes you feel good. So kind of talk about some of the, the backside or the, maybe the research behind some of that. There's, um, do, there's dopamine weariness. And so what's happening is we're getting so many feel-good chemicals and what I would call artificial, my phone. 
So I personally sent out my notifications, tried to, to get my phone to upset me as little as possible so that face-to-face, real interaction, right? I, I, I am surprised when I hear couples that can't talk. And what they're really saying is we haven't been intimate like that in years. We haven't sat face-to-face and actually talked and not had a device in our hands in years. Right. And I think that's what's happening is, is as a culture, we're developing this anti-artificial intimacy with strangers, with people that I'm not really friends with. Ever seen a Facebook friend in, in the grocery store and you're like, oh my gosh, I think we're Facebook friends. Let's go over here. You know, it's like, you're not even friends, you know? Right. But, but I think that's where, as a, as a believer, I want God to, to, to put me into intimacy. I want to be offended by brothers who are willing to offend me and call me out. When I, once again, I'm not trying to get an attaboy. I really want to know what have I done wrong? Mm-hmm. It, it's a homework I try to give couples. I, I, I call it compliment and critique. As I want a couple once a week, once every two weeks, I want him to turn to her and say, okay, babe, what do you love about me? And women, some of them are really good at this and some of y'all are terrible. <laughs> because like, what do you mean something good about you? Well, crap. Uh <laughs> You know, you went to work, you know, it's like, (laughs) but for her to sit down and really say, I caught you praying with our son. I caught you uh, taking care of a flower bed that you don't even care about, but you know, I do. And that's sweet love. And I really appreciate that about you. As a man, that makes me boast because it's like, she's really proud of me. She's for me. Now, a man in his maturity will say, okay, now, babe, give me a correction. Give me something I need to work on because I love you and I'm not, I don't want to be proud of how I treat you without talking to you. And so a good woman, I want her to be careful in construction, not in destruction, in construction to say, I really wish you would uh, spend more time with the family. I really wish you would come hold my hand and not make a joke or inappropriate or I wish you'd, you know, this. And I don't want a man swelling up. I want him to say, thank you. That that's a good correction, and that's something I'm going to work on this week. Is it, thank you the only proper response? No, okay. Because 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 to me, I, if I'm blunt, thank you is kind of shallow. Thank you is like it can sound sarcastic. I, I want I want us to put more words. I want to have some depth in these relationships. I, I don't think any couple in this room should raise their hand and say I'm happy with our intimacy. There's four types of intimacy, right? Mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical. And so a Christian couple that's not intimate, right, should be working spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. Did I say that right? Mental, emotional, spiritual. We should be hitting those three as often as possible. And I don't want a couple ever satisfied with those four connections. Because if I have a couple hitting one of those a day, they, they don't come to marriage counselors. Now, can they go to marriage counselors to get started? Yes. But what I find is, what is our mental connection? Are we budgeting, logistics? These are, these are mental and physical are typically masculine intimacies. But I think a man who loves his wife says, okay, I'm willing to be emotional. I'm willing to be weak with you because women respond to weakness, right? Puppies, babies. You've never seen a woman woo more, right? When something defenseless comes in her arms. So the guy that's like, I beat the hell out of the guy at Circle K, right? <laughs> She's not proud of that. She's not like, oh, I love you so much. You're, you're so impressive with your no hair, you know, knuckle dragon self, you know. But when a man says, I'm afraid, I, I'm grieving the death of my dad. 
I'm embarrassed. I'm dealing with aging. I'm dealing with insecurity. I had an emotional, I had a spiritual dream and I'm wrecked and I'm struggling, babe. And I trust you with the, 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 the most awkward parts of me. That is some sweet intimacy, mm. spiritual intimacy. David's a great pastor, but there are going to be things you don't agree with him on. But maturity says, I want to dig in the word. I want God to teach me. I want David to teach me. I, I want to really grow. And, and, and with my wife, I want to talk with her about some complex things. Let's talk about tongues. Let's talk about the big issues and how they apply when they apply. Let's not be afraid of death or intimacy. And I find when a couple's clicking on those three, physical is awesome. It's the best it can be mm-hmm. because it feels authentic, right? So, you don't get anything? You know, um, you know, so we're talking about how to be successful here. I want to shift gears just a little bit because we're going to run out of time um, on this. But let's talk about some wounds, some past, some hurts. I mean, everybody's been wounded. Everybody's been hurt. Everybody has things uh, from their past that maybe aren't resolved or maybe we think they're resolved, but they're not really right until stress comes, pressure comes. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, man, where'd that come from? Right. And that's just a signal saying, hey, that I'm I'm not as well or whole as I maybe thought I was. Mm-hmm. And so uh, kind of in a 30,000 foot view, how do we really, um, I guess, maybe come to God in the place of to receive healing for those hurts? Like what, what are some tips some tools, some things that you can speak to? Well, I mean, what is forgiveness? Uh, I hear, you know, I forgave him, but I'm not going to forget. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's really not in the Bible. That's not what God did for you. God forgave you. God pardoned you. God forgot what you did. But I have couples that get in fights and these same stories come up every fight. So my rule is if, if, if there's an offense that's greater than six months old that you're still thinking about, that you're still getting more upset than you should be, you, you are living with unforgiveness. And that is cancer to any relationship you're in. And so I, as a believer, I'm, I need to go before my God who's forgiven me, remember, in the billions and say, God, I refuse to bring this up again. Now, I'm not a fan of what I call past tense language. For example, I don't like the word, oh, God's healed me of that. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. I'll be honest with you guys. I can never drink or do drugs again. So I don't like to say, oh, God healed me of alcoholism because God is healing me. I like that word because God is healing me. But when my addiction, when my, when my, when I want to drink, when I am in pain and my sin, my flesh wants to cure that naturally and not spiritually, I want to surrender before my God and say, okay, God, you're still healing me. Renew my mind. Let me go to my community. Let me go to my accountability because God is healing me present tense. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want a couple to do. That's what I want anyone to do is that when I'm reminded of what he did two years ago, what she did five years ago, I want to go to my God and say, okay, God, Let's talk about who they are and not who they were. I want to be reminded that they're, they're being healed and I'm being healed, right? right? And as we're healing, we're getting better. Is there accountability? Yes. Do I, do I want to have access to each other's phones or, you know, whatever the thing is? Yes. We need to do some smart things because privacy scares me in relationships. I'll be honest with you. I think that is a place to foster and protect sin, uh, whether it be financial, whether it be, you know, technology, whatever it is, I, I think that is dangerous, dangerous ground. Uh, but I, I think that's, that's, that's the healing I want from these, from these past is I know people that are bitter toward their parents. They're bitter toward a, a, a sibling, bitter toward their wife or ex-wife. 
But I, I want us to take a tally in ourselves and say, am I really going to allow that sickness to just stay in my heart until I die? I just don't want people to talk about me like that when I'm dead. I want them to say, God, Ross was someone who forgave as he was forgiven. He pardoned. He surrendered. He allowed some intimacy. Now, are there boundaries? Yes. I'm not going to let a thief. I'm not going to let someone who's a harm to my children in my home. Mm-hmm. That, isn't, that doesn't mean I've unforgiven them. That's right. just being stupid. Yeah, so, so speak to that where how do you set boundaries with somebody who is a repeat offender? Well, to me, the boundary is a, is a recognition of their character, okay? And so I, I don't, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think the church has been too nice to wolves. And I think the church needs to quit fostering wolves and allowing wolves in the door because they're always going to hurt the sheep. And so I feel like it doesn't feel Christian to be mean to the wolf because, you know, Jesus loves everybody. And, and I think if I'm honest, I want to protect the sheep. I want to foster my children. I want to foster my wife. But boundaries to me, there has to be a no. There has to be things I'm not willing to do. For example, I do not want to have lunch with a woman. I I really try to even avoid private text messages with women. Because my wife has really good friends that want to get free counseling. So they'll text me, right? And so what I try to do is I'll put my wife in the text and respond. Because they'll ask financial questions. They'll ask sexual questions. And I don't want to be, that puts me in a very bad position. Because who told you that? Well, Ross told me that. Well, that's inappropriate. And so I guess I want boundaries of who am I willing to help? And I meet, I meet really good guys that I think with good intention step into an affair because they really genuinely want to help people. Mm-hmm. But they're helping alone, which is so, so foolish. And I think they're arrogant that they're never going to be tempted. Now, do I want to help people with my wife? Absolutely. Right. Because my wife can go pray for that stripper and I'll be in the car. Right. Because I'm not judging her. Once again, this is not I'm better than, but we as a team are going to be accountable and not have temptation. That as a man, I am vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so there's those boundaries of I am afraid of my sin. I'm afraid of what I'm capable of. So I, I, I like to say that marriage is like a loaded weapon. I, I, I'm not afraid of it, but I never want to forget its capability. I never want to forget the lethality of what my marriage can happen. But I meet guys all the time who say, I, I never thought I could have an affair. I'm like, oh, don't say that. Please don't say that. Right. Don't brag about your gun skills as you wield this gun and shoot somebody. Because mm-hmm. that, that's, that, that's, that shows immaturity that you're that casual with something that dangerous. Right. Yeah. So it just came to mind. So I want to rewind a little bit. Right. Because you said something to me when we were talking this morning about uh, why would you go to a counselor, right? Why, why can't you just be me and Jesus? Like, hey, me and my wife have problems, you know, me and my kid, my coworker, whatever. I've got these issues with people. Why, like, <clears throat> you know, what's the, I guess, the um, the need of going to sit down with a counselor? A, a skilled, trained person. Yeah. Well, how about this? If I have indigestion, I don't need to go to the emergency room. Because that's a minor and a minor hit, something that I've recovered from, and I had symptoms for hours, not days or weeks. Because if I'm doubled over with stomach pain, we're not calling this indigestion. Mm-hmm. So I, get, I think there's a triage of that of saying, yes, do me and my wife have conflict, but are we healing? Are we getting better? Right. Did we get back to a good place? And so I think I want to call a professional in when my son is depressed for days and weeks and months. This is not a bad day. 
this is becoming a pattern. Mm -hmm. And so in its infancy, right, I want to catch something as soon as possible. So maybe this is self-serving, but I'm going to get my children into counseling as soon as I sense there could be an issue. Mm -hmm. And I'm proud that my boys have gone to therapy because I feel like it gave them the beginning of like, okay, here's a place where you can be safe and ask questions. Mm -hmm. And you can talk about how you have a terrible dad and you have a terrible mom. And they're going to validate and understand. And I trust these people not to trash us, but to say, I get that. Your, right. your dad was wrong. Your mom was wrong. And then let's grow and mature. Mm-hmm. And then I was very happy when my boys said, we're, we're tired of going. There's nothing else to talk about. I love it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Share the example that you gave about like calling, like calling a, a builder, a home builder. So I hear this a lot with like premarital counseling uh, is people are dating and they are like, oh, if we got to go to counseling, we just need to break up. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then you, they get engaged. And I'm like, are y'all going to premarital counseling? And they're like, uh, we'll go see the preacher once or twice, but let's not get crazy, you know? And so my analogy is if I was going to build my dream house, I wouldn't build it myself. I would want a builder that's built hundreds of homes, that's an expert of building homes, And they're going to see things I would have never thought about. And as counselors, premarital counseling is the most fun work we ever get to do. Mm -hmm. It's so rare I get to see people that actually love each other, you know? (laughs) Usually they're like, we have have unfortunate children together, you know? Like, (laughs) we're just staying together so we don't slip my stuff, you know? So premarital, I think, is the beginning of saying, okay, y'all love each other. Why do you love each other? Let's talk about her mom. Let's talk about his his parents. Let's talk about, let's pick some fights. How many kids do y'all want? Are you going to have a joint checking account? You can put the appliances on the counters or putting the ketchup in the fridge. I mean, are you kidding? Like these are fights, bloody felony fights. When I get with a couple 10 years later and she, you know, he's never loved me as much as he loves his mama, you know, and then come to find out there's something inappropriate. There's, there's a priority uh, of someone outside the marriage. And you're like, Wow. Why didn't y'all deal with this in the beginning of your marriage? We didn't know it was a problem because we didn't hire anybody. We didn't allow anyone to tell us what we were doing wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, I love that example of I wouldn't build a house, right? Because I'm not an expert. Now, for me, I would build a house. What I wouldn't do is take my car apart because I'm not a mechanic. Like, I'm not a car guy. Now, construction, building homes, swinging hammers, all that kind of, hey, Outside of plumbing, I'm good, you know, and my, my air conditioner is pretty important too. I wouldn't touch that. But, uh, but for the most part, that's something I am comfortable with. But I think there is something to be said that when we go to a, a counselor, one of the best things, this is what I tell people, because like people may want to come and say, hey, can I come talk with you? And I'm like, absolutely come. But here's the thing. I don't, I can give you counsel from the word of God. But what I can't do is I don't have 15 years of experience and education to ask the right questions to help you come to your conclusion. A counselor's job is not to tell you what to do. It's good. And if they, if somebody is telling you this is what you should do, in my opinion, you can speak to this. If I'm wrong, feel free to tell me. My, I believe that a counselor's job is to help me reach a conclusion of my own. Yeah. And to, but I need somebody to ask me the right questions to help me get there. Because we can get stuck in our mind trying to process questions, right? Mm. And so sometimes I just need somebody to ask me a, a very pinpointed question that won't let me squirm away from the question until I wrestle with it. Yeah. So 
if we're going to even a Christian counselor and saying, hey, you're like Jesus to me. No, he's not Jesus. I love Ross, but and we've talked about this many times. We even have a joke like that there are things that pastors should speak to and there's things counselors should speak to. And sometimes they just shouldn't cross, right? Yep. Uh, you know, and, and there's times where I've called him and said, hey, I'm dealing with a situation. What's your advice to me? There's been times where he's called and said, hey, what does the Bible say about this? Is, do we have a, a scripture? Do we have some? And so there's a cooperation that can happen, a collaboration. But ultimately, my job, his job is to point you to Jesus, not to us. That's good. And so there's now we can help facilitate that no different than me preaching a sermon or him counseling. The ultimate goal is to bring us back to Jesus because he's the one who can heal. Mm. And what I do want to say, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, is that there's not a disconnection. It's not that, hey, God can heal you. And that's the solely the answer or that, hey, it's counseling that will heal you. It's good counsel and God that come together, but ultimately it's got to bring you to the, to the cross of Jesus. Why? Because that's where the price was paid for our freedom. That's where the price was paid so that we could be made whole and that we could be made well. And so as he spoke earlier about a humanistic counselor, they're not going to bring you to Jesus. They're just not. They're not equipped, trained, or even necessarily believe for that. And so the, the answer is, is coming to our Savior. Why? Because he loves us, because he wants us to be whole. And so there's one area that, that I want to touch on, and we can take a few minutes here, is because I think this is important uh, because, I mean, we are a church, right? Anybody not know you're at church this morning? You're in church. If you don't know, welcome. And, uh, but, you know, we're talking about emotional wounds and emotional pain and past things, but I want to touch on church hurt. Uh, because I think this is an important area that sometimes some of the greatest hurt we can ever feel is actually in the church, right? Because outside of our, if you take away spiritual, you have mental, emotional, and physical harm. When you add in the spiritual and there becomes a hurt in that arena, that's a holistic pain. That it hurts you at every level of your being, right? And so, but how do we process and how do we overcome um, dealing with past church hurt pains where, you know, and I say it this way is that people hurt you. Jesus didn't, That's good. but Jesus wants to heal you. So speak to that for a minute. I think my first question would be, what are your expectations? Mm-hmm. Because if I'm going to go to this church, I'm going to expect this church to be led by a sinful man. Now a sinful man that I have expectations of that. I want him to follow God, but I'm not expecting holiness from you. I'm not expecting holiness from this body. I'm expecting good people who have good intentions and are occasionally going to step out of line. That, that's just, I think that's the irony of church hurt. Where are these people going? To another broken church? To another church ran by sinners? No, what they're doing is this is why we're in a divorcing society right now. Everybody's convinced they can find it better. Mm-hmm. And they're just causing damage after damage. So, yes. Is there, are there felonies? Yes. I, I, I. I guess I want to put an expiration date on the wound. I I want to say, yes, I'm offended, but how long are you allowed to be offended? Because I think that's sin when someone says, I'm so offended that we're going to uproot. We're going to, we're going to cut ourselves away from the branch and we're going to begin the process of death and try to reattach to another body with our unforgiveness toward the old church. That's a setup. Because we've even found that in marriage, right? Second marriage is divorce rate 75%. Third marriage is divorce rate 95%. You can't, you can't keep disconnecting and keep the same glue. 
Mm-hmm. So what I say is, yes, is church hurt, hurt happening? Absolutely. Because I'll be honest, God really doesn't do what I want him to do sometimes. And if I need a human to fall, pastor's a good guy to be the fall guy for that, right? You prayed for my healing and I didn't get healed. So I blame you. I blame God. I blame the church. Now, is it my fault? I mean, I was eating Twinkies on the treadmill, but I mean, oh, it's my fault. Of course, it's my fault. Yeah. But I think it's selfishness for me to say this church didn't do what I wanted to do. And so I'm going to leave the body because I'm offended at how y'all follow Christ. Right. I'd rather say, God, I need I need to be flexible. God, use me, mold me. God, you, you have blessings to being faithful. And I am not going to withdraw my faithfulness until I almost have the audible voice of God that it's time. Right. So let me. So y'all don't know this. He's also a worship leader, by the way. Uh, he's, you know. Um, and so how would you say that even talking about church hurt, right? Like I was thinking while you were talking about um, kind of selfishness and pride, right? I mean, those are the roots of all evil seemingly uh, in our life. But even when it plays into our relationship with God, specifically in the area of our worship, how do, how do we connect with God in a spiritual level, but yet we're fallen, we're broken, we're selfish, we're self-centered. I mean, all of these things, like what are, so kind of bridging your two worlds of worship and counseling. um, How do we connect with God in a very meaningful way? What I like to say is when God designed a hair follicle, he only, he only expected one thing to come out of it. Hair. God made a sinner. Is God shocked by my sin? No. And I find people are so embarrassed and they feel so unworthy and, I, I don't understand their theology. Did you think you were going to quit sinning? Did you think he was going to get tired of forgiving you? Or did your earthly father just damage your relationship with your heavenly father? Probably what happened. Is that, oh, yeah, my, my earthly father gave up on me, so I'm sure my heavenly father's going to get sick of me too. Which is such an insult to the heavenly father that has done immeasurable for you. So I think in my worship, my worship is a positioning of me saying, God, you're going to do what you've always done. I heard a song lyric two weeks ago, and the lyric was, God, you're as kind as you were the day I met you. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's so good. Because me and David used to listen to music, you know, back in the 1900s. That's what my, uh, <laughs> back in the, yeah, back in the 19s, as my baby would say. And, of course, God would wreck us because there is an alignment of God saying, you are my son. You are unworthy. But my blood, my glory, my healing made you worthy. So quit telling me you're unworthy. Shut up. And, 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 and to me, get under the covering, get under the wing of the Father and let him heal you. Because some of you are difficult to heal. Some of you are the worst children God's ever had. Because <laughs> you're like, oh, I'm so thirsty. I don't, I don't want water. No, no. <laughs> I'm dehydrated, God. Oh, God, I need, I need you to help me. Right? Yeah. I'm fat because I'm lazy and I don't want to work out. But God, I need you just to remove my burden. God, just remove my belly. (laughs) Yeah. And I think what God is saying is, I have said enough. I have told you time and time again that you are my son. That even as the prodigal, you are as worthy as the one who never left. So shut your mouth, put on the robe, eat the cow. Let's go. Come home. You are here. Yeah. And I think that's part of worship is saying, God, thank you for what you say about me. We just sang that song. God, I am who you say I am. I'm going to talk about what you said. Some of you are some broken, un- low self-esteem people. And I don't, I don't know what Bible you're reading. 
Psalm 139, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. If you don't believe that scripture, you, you, you need to go memorize that, that scripture. Some of y'all think you're special. Some of you think that God was in a bad mood when he made you. That is not biblical. You were fearfully, carefully, wonderfully, with excellence. God is proud of you. Not because of what you've done, but because of who you are. And if you're a father, you know that. If you're a mother, you know that because you held a newborn and said, I have never loved something like I love this. Who, by the way, has done nothing. Right? It's not like, it's not like I was like, oh, I can't wait for him to do something. Right? Because I almost love him, you know? <laughs> because, right, my salvation is not works-based. God said, I love you for who you are. I love you for your lineage. I love that you are mine. I don't want to talk about what you did when you were a prodigal. I don't, I, I don't, you had to leave. I get it. But you're home. Yeah. Let's quit talking about that. You're home. You're yeah. mine. You are called. You are worthy. Yeah. No, and that's a huge struggle is just identity uh, and, and really just owning that. That was a huge struggle for me. Um, just trying to figure out because I knew I was saved by grace. Uh, I knew that, but I was going to just like kind of like an IOU, like Jesus, I appreciate your death on the cross, but I'm just going to pay you back. Mm. Like, and, and me and Ross had many conversations over the years. Like I, I'm client number one, by the way, uh, you know, uh, for him. And, you know, as far as like just trying to undo that, I remember one time when I was youth pastoring, I called you. I don't remember about a situation. I don't remember what the situation was. And, uh, but it's something that really stuck with me as I called and we were talking and, I was just struggling with some stuff and trying to figure out it was because some students were making decisions, bad decisions. And I'm like, you know, I'm a horrible youth pastor. Am I even saved? Am I even making a difference? And and he laughed and he goes, you have the youth pastor complex. And I was like, what? What's that? And he was like, there's only one Jesus and you forgot you're not him. And it changed my ministry. Because I realized I can only point people to Jesus. And so even when I'm talking about, like talking about church hurt, kind of a a flip side, sometimes we can think about church hurt being what's done to us. But sometimes it's the person that walked away. That's good. And you're like, God, I failed you. Like I was supposed to help them. Mm. And now I'm wounded by somebody else's decision to not follow through with their faith. And somehow I'm responsible. And trust me, as a pastor, I... I consider myself pretty expert on this one because we take on the burden, right? And even for many of you, I believe there's been people that that you prayed for and you were standing with and you were believing God to work and and really just wanting to see God do something. But today you're, you're hurt because of the decision that they made. It wasn't your decision. But you can take on that and it can actually begin to just suffocate the spiritual life right out of your soul. Because of the weight and the, you feel like, man, I didn't measure up. I didn't do what God told me to do. I didn't, you know, like somehow God is now disappointed because of they made a decision and I wasn't enough to get there to save them. You know, it's that idea of if I would have only, you know, uh, Lazarus, right? In scripture, he gets raised from the dead, but Jesus shows up on the scene. And what does Mary say? If you would have only been here three days ago, Hmm. Jesus, you, you can, you're the resurrection and the life. And sometimes we can put ourselves into that mode of somehow thinking like now God is disappointed with me because I didn't save somebody. Let me just help us all. We can't. 
Only Jesus saves. Mm. But yet we can still be dealing with the ramifications and the fallout in our own heart for other people's actions. You're only going to stand before God for you. Amen. When Ross stands before Jesus, he's not going to say, hey, David, come here. Stand next to him. You, you got some things to answer for. He's going to call Ross and say, hey, let's talk. He's going to call me and say, let's talk. And the best news is, is because we've received Christ, it's going to be a really good conversation. Like a really good conversation. Do you realize that you have nothing to be afraid of when it talks about going before the Lord mm. to give an account for your life? Because every accusation that could come, it's but the blood of Jesus, mm. but the sacrifice of Jesus. And so the goal and the, my hope for you is this, is that you actually come to Jesus to be made well. It doesn't mean that everything is, is perfect. I mean, there's been times in my life, and this is, and I really like what Ross said, is that even the idea of that God heals us and makes us whole, and there is a degree of that. But that doesn't mean in five years something's not going to pop up and it's like, where'd that come from? It's from that old wound. Yes. But I've got to renew my mind. I've got to choose to not go. You know, I made the, we were in a, a small group last week and I made this statement about is that we have to bury the hatchet, but make sure we don't leave the handle sticking out so we can go back and re-grab it, <laughs> right, and use it again. It's like, no, we've got to bury it. We've got to go beyond it. And, and so, you know, this morning I want to take just a few minutes, and we've done this every week uh, except for last week. Um, but look. And this is going to be a little out of the nature of this service, and I get it. But, you know, I want to pray for people this morning. Uh, we've done this week one and week two because I felt like this is what the Lord instructed me to do as part of this series. And so I want to take a few moments here. And, uh, you know, there's some things, you know, like I'll just give you a very quick testimony. We didn't show you a testimony. I'll give you a quick one. I was hurt very badly in the church, like extraordinarily badly. And it dominated my life for many years. Um, just that within things that were said to me, lied about, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, I won't even go into all the details, but there was just, I mean, character trashing at a very high level. Um, you know, people told me they would ruin me, that I would never do anything God ever called me to do, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and so when I talk about church hurt, I'm pretty familiar. And, uh, you know, and I carried that for a long time and I didn't know how to, um, because we can say things like, you know, just come to Jesus and let him heal you. Okay, what does that mean? Like, how do I do that? Like, that sounds great. And one of the things that you have to do to allow the Lord to begin the process of healing you is, number one, you've got to open up. Like, there's got to be an invitation. Like, Jesus, I'm hurt. And I'm going to invite you into my pain. I'm not going to run away from the pain. I'm actually going to lean into the pain and invite you into that place because I don't want to hurt like that. And I want to be made whole. And I want you to work in me. And so today, there may be any number of things that, that you say, man, I need healing for. It may be physical. It may be mental and emotional in your soul. It, it may be uh, just an old hurt. And what I'm going to ask you to do this morning is we're going to pray. And I believe that the presence of God is here right now to minister his grace and his life and his goodness to you. Now, it's going to take a step of faith and it's going to be uncomfortable. It just is. There's just no way around that. But what I want to invite you to do is if you're here this morning, you say, man, I feel the Holy Spirit tugging on my heart this morning. You're like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. I'm going to ask you just to stand up right where you are. 
Because all, and what you're acknowledging is saying, you know what? I'm acknowledging that something's not right and I want to invite God in that to heal me. Because I realize that Jesus alone, he's the only one who can heal me. There's no counselor, there's no pastor, there's no human being that can fix the brokenness that's in my life. And so if you're here this morning, I'm going to invite you just right where you are. I'm not going to call you down front, but I want to pray over you. But I want you to take a step of faith this morning and just stand up. Go ahead. If that's you this morning, if there's, if there may be church hurt, it may be parent hurt. It might be physical pain in your body. It might be something that you've never told anybody. Jesus already knows about it. The Bible actually says that he can feel what we feel. It says that he's moved with compassion towards us. Why? Because he's already paid the price for your pain. And because he paid the price for your pain, you no longer need to. He came so that you could be made whole and well. Now, I'm not promising you anything as far as what's going to happen in this moment. But what I can say is I know the word of God and I know what his promises are, which is that he will be near to us, that he will heal us. The Bible says that he will give us joy for mourning, right? He will give us shout for our despair, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of scriptures that we can look to and see what God does. And my prayer this entire time for this series, I've been praying for almost a year for this. Is that we wouldn't see something just spectacular, but God would do something significant in your heart and in your life. And so this morning, I'm going to invite the rest of you to participate. Because I think that there's something important and powerful about when the church prays for one another. The Bible says that, when, that signs and wonders will follow those who believe. But it says when they lay hands upon the sick, they will recover. When they lay hands upon the broken, they will be made whole. And so I, those of you who are still sitting, I'm going to invite you to get up out of your seat and come put your hand on these people. And pray for them as I'm praying. I'm, I'm going to pray here in just a moment. And as I'm praying, I'm going to invite you guys to pray. We still got some folks over here. So if you, you can move around. You don't have to stay in your section. It's okay. But I believe in the power of the body of Christ. James chapter 5 says that we should confess our sins one to another. And you're like, wait, I thought I did that to Jesus. Yes. We go to God for forgiveness, but we go to his body for healing. It's in that community, in that relationship that God wants to work. So that's all this is. This is just a physical representation of the body of Christ coming around you to say, you know, we're going to believe God to heal. And so I want to pray this morning. I'm going to invite all of you who have your hands laid on somebody this morning to pray with me. Don't just listen to me pray. You pray with us. So, Father God, I just thank you right now. Father, I thank you for your power. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your ability. Father, that there's no damage that has been done to us. There's no work of darkness that has been uh, played against us, Father, that can stand in your presence. And so, Father, I thank you right now for your healing power. Father, I thank you for your anointing. Father, that it would fill every broken place of our souls, of our minds, of our hearts. Father, I thank you. Father, that you are a good God, that you're a loving Father. And so, Father, we thank you. And Father, that you said that you would reveal yourself, Father, by healing. You said that you would confirm your word with signs and wonders and miracles following. 
And so, Father, I thank you, whether it be spirit, whether it be soul, whether it be body, Father, I thank you right now for your healing anointing, your healing power to work in every heart in this room right now, with every person that may be online. Father, I thank you that you're moving in their life, you're moving in their heart. Father, that there's joy where there's been uh, pain. Father, where there's uh, acceptance, where there's been shame. Father, I thank you that you help give us eyes to see who you've created us, called us to be in you, which is new, which is whole, which is well. And so, Father, we thank you. Father, we worship you. We glorify and magnify you, Father, because you alone heal us. You're the one who's worthy of our worship and you're worthy of our praise. And so, Father, we thank you. Father, we declare that you are our healer. So, Father, we thank you that even as we're in this moment, Father, we've opened up our hearts to you. And, Father, I thank you that you come in and that you're mending and repairing and healing these broken places in our being. And so, Father, we thank you. Father, that you are faithful to your word, but Father, that you are faithful to us. Father, that you feel what we feel. You feel our pain and our burden and the weight. Father, I take authority over all oppression and depression right now. Father, I say in the name of Jesus, it has to be broken. It has to be broken in the name and the authority of Jesus. You have no place. For we've been redeemed from the effects and the curse upon this earth. That we now have the freedom that's in Christ. Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us. Father, it's in the precious, the matchless, the powerful name of Jesus that we pray.